Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fresh edition of Physics of the Mystics. Here on this very special podcast, we discuss the physics of the mystics. In other words, the mystics were talking about physics long before the modern-day scientists discovered what they themselves don't even realize they're talking about, and that is mystical concepts and philosophies that were taught to us thousands of years ago. Let me begin today's podcast with a quote from the great godfather of quantum physics, Max Planck. And this is what he said. Science cannot solve the ultimate mystery of nature. And that is because in the last analysis, we ourselves are a part of the mystery that we are trying to solve. And that's what Max Planck said. Very deep, and um, that is very much recognizing, coming to terms with the limitations of our minds. As the brightest scientists, we are still always stuck. We need to recognize the limitations, our boundaries. The biggest boundary is our own mind and our own limitations as human beings. How can you get a perspective of yourself when you are stuck within yourself all the time? And that's where this podcast, which talks about the great wisdom that comes from God, from the great mystics, they are giving it to us from a different perspective. You know how when people pass away for a few minutes and then they talk about what they saw when their soul was hovering up above and they saw everything from a different perspective? That's what we're discussing today on Physics of the Mystics. So hold on tight and welcome to the podcast Physics of the Mystics where we embark on an exhilarating journey that stimulates the mind and opens new windows of wisdom, inspiration, and light. In this thought-provoking series, we explore the captivating intersection of science and Kabbalah, seamlessly blending, synthesizing, and fusing these two realms together. Join us as we delve into the profound connection between science and mysticism, revealing how scientific concepts are not only an extension, but also a direct outgrowth and product of mystical wisdom. The mystical wisdom is the blueprint upon which we are discovering modern-day quantum physics. As we unravel the mysteries of the universe, we aim to ignite a sense of wonder, curiosity, and awe within your own mind. Get ready for a mind-expanding journey where we unlock the secrets of the cosmos, inviting you to explore the profound connection between science and mysticism in a truly enlightening and captivating manner. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Physics of the Mystics, a brand new edition where science and Kabbalah converge to inspire, inform, and transform your understanding of the world around us. It will deepen your appreciation of the concepts that are taught to us in the Torah. It will make you more excited to observe all the rules that are written in the Torah. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to continue to expand on what we discussed last week. And then I'm going to add even a new inspiration from Jewish law that relates to quantum physics and quantum mechanics. My name is Rabbi Shlomo Ezegui. I live here in South Florida for the last 36 years. It's a long time. I have an email address, and that email address is for you to communicate with me and to tell me what you think of this podcast, to offer me suggestions and criticism. I really appreciate when I receive those emails. It's physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. 
That's physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. Please send me your feedback. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. And as Ramba Maimonides tells us, and modern-day science is recognizing, the most powerful and important meal of the day is breakfast. And so, as a champion, I can use that breakfast, and it comes from your emails. Please send it to me at physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. And I'm working right now on a book, Physics of the Mystics. It's going to be a phenomenal book, and I'm not going to tell you what the greatest punchline is going to be about. You may pick it up as you continue to listen to these podcasts. Today, I want to go on discussing what I talked about last week. You know, in Physics of the Mystics, the great the great um, discussion of quantum physics takes us to a place where we have difficulty trying to make sense of it because it doesn't fit in to the regular box of now, yesterday, and tomorrow. It doesn't fit into the box where everything is predetermined and everything seems to follow a certain pattern. There is a lot of unknown and a lot of um, wavy, wavy kind of stuff that make it hard for us to determine the velocity and the place at the same time, Heisenberg's principle. We have a lot, a lot of Neil Bohr's and we have the Schrodinger equation, which leads us to places that are hard to grasp with our mind that tries to relate to things in a very concrete fashion. But that is all part of the world that we're discovering, which Judaism and the practices of halacha have already brought to our attention a long time ago. But today, with the knowledge of quantum mechanics and quantum physics, we can actually relate to those ideas a lot more we can appreciate the depth of those rules and of that wisdom that a long time ago we would also have a hard time trying to grasp. But today with what's discovered and recognized with quantum mechanics, we can very, very, very much relate to them on a lot on a, on a lot better and in a lot concrete fashion. So last week I was sharing with you this discussion that Rabbi Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rabbi has, on the subject of prayer based on the rules of the Ramba Maimonides. Maimonides seems to contradict himself in one place. He says that the 24-hour period of time, which is really going to be um, my biggest, my biggest, I think, contribution um, in the book that I'm writing, and that's going to be on defining what time really is. And that's going to be the surprise that you uh, you might pick up on it as you continue to listen to these podcasts. But, you know, a lot of people, maybe the majority of scientists believe that time is an illusion. It's a construct of the human imagination. A lot of people have a difficulty trying to define what is time. But let me just cut to the chase. In Judaism, it's pretty clear that time is something. It's a substance. And that is very clear from the fact that Yom Kippur is very, very um, powerful as a day that can't be substituted or exchanged for any other day. Shabbat, the seventh day of the week, is a very serious phenomenon that can't be exchanged or substituted for another day of the week. You can't celebrate the Shabbat on Monday. It's not just if you imagine it to be, then it will be. The same thing is also, we just finished counting the 49 days that led up to the holiday Shavuot from the holiday of Passover, and we made a blessing 
on every single day. Now, if it were just an illusion, you can't make a blessing, or that would be a blessing in vain. Every single day is a very, very real substance. It's a very real something. And that something has a very uh, powerful characteristic to it. And if you are living and you are connected to the time of Yom Kippur or the time of Shabbat or the 49 days between Passover and Shavuot, each single identity of time is very different from the other time. And they all give you each individually their own unique strength and opportunities. So it's clear from the Torah, and there's no even debate about it, that time is something very real, and it's a substance, um, a very concrete, defined substance. However, this is what we're talking about on physics of the mystics, and in discussing quantum mechanics, what we were talking about when it comes to the different different uh, ways that the Rambam Maimonides talks about the 24-hour period of time, he says that the 24-hour period of time needs to be viewed as the day that follows the night. That's the way God created the world, and that's the normal, natural order of things. You got a night, and then the day follows. But th- then the Rambam Maimonides, when it comes to the evening prayer, he says that the evening prayer represented a connection to the past day. That what the evening prayer is all about, it represents something that went on in the temple during the past day. So the Rambam needs to make up his mind, does the evening prayer represent the beginning of the next day? Or does the evening prayer represent an attachment and a connection to the past day? And what we explained is that the two the two explanations of night and day um, have a place and they make a lot of good sense depending on how you view and how you approach the day and the night. And what we explain is that there are two different orders. One is a little high, one is a little deeper than the other. On a regular kind of particle basis, the way God created nature, so then you have the night, and then the day that follows. That's a 24-hour period, and it's immovable. That's the concrete definition of a 24-hour period a day. But then there is a deeper possibility in which you are able to, so to say, extend the day into the following night. In other words, on the following night, you can still experience the past day when you elevate yourself to a higher spiritual level, as in the case when sacrifices are brought in the temple. When the sacrifices are brought in the temple, this is a spiritual, miraculous place. And so when sacrifices are being brought in the temple, and you are on that higher and on that spiritual, on on that more refined level, then it's possible to connect to the past day, even in the following night. And we said that this is similar to, for example, when it comes to the Shabbat. I just finished telling you the Shabbat is very clear. There's clear definitions when the Shabbat begins. The Shabbat begins when sun sets, and it finishes the next day when the stars come out. That's the 24, 25-hour period of time, and that's the boundaries 
of the Shabbat. Yet, we know that according to Jewish law, a person can bring on the Shabbat with all its seriousness even before the Shabbat. If he takes it on upon himself before the Shabbat, then it's possible that all the seriousness and all the strength and all the benefits of the Shabbat are able to be experienced even before sunset. The same thing is also the next day, Saturday night. It's possible to extend the Shabbat. As a matter of fact, there are different levels in which the Shabbat can be extended either Saturday night or even it goes on to the next Tuesday or even in a certain way, it goes on to the next year, Simchas Torah. What is that all about? What that is all about is that quantum physics is telling us that when you look at a molecule, when you look at an atom, when you go then even deeper into the proton and into the electron and into the neutron, and then you go even deeper into the quarks, you start getting into a very fuzzy place which um, is not a particle. It's not something that you can um, uh, define with a very specific area. You start reaching into a place where um, all possibilities um, are possible, where there is no specific place where the particle is because it can pop up anywhere. And at any place in the area of the wave, then you are able to conceivably be in touch with later on the particle that comes out only in one place and at one time. Let me give you um, another example that um, Rabbi Schneerson and the Lubavitcher Rebbe talks about in Jewish law that also expresses and demonstrates this same point. And I'm going to tell you what it means on a very personal level. Um, you know, before I get you to the example of um, uh, uh, the example that I'm going to share with you today, you know, there's a story in the Talmud with Rabbi um, Yochanan, with Rabbi Hanina Bedoisa. Rabbi Hanina Bedoisa was a very poor man, but he had the power of prayer. He was, he, he was a man that experienced miracles his whole life. What does it mean, a miracle? He wasn't limited to the finite characteristics of nature, Newtonian mechanics, Einstein's uh, uh, um, approach and appreciation of the world, but Rabbi Hanina Bedoisa he was able to experience things on a miraculous level, on the wave level, on the level where things have not yet particularized themselves into one thing. In, in a place where all the possibilities lie. And so Rabbi Hanin ben Doisa, who was a man who experienced miracles all the time, it came once Friday before the Shabbat, and he says to his daughter to light the Shabbat candles, and she says, but there is no oil in the house. He says, is there any liquid in the house? She says, there's some vinegar. See, he says, whoever said to oil to light, whoever gave the quality um, of, of, of sparking a fire in oil can also give that quality in vinegar. Take the vinegar and light it. Now, the daughter, of course, knew that her, husband, her father uh, was a miraculous, spiritual serious kind of guy. She took the vinegar and it lit, and it lit miraculously even longer than her normal um, oil-lit menorah lasted. So that's the point that I'm sharing with you, ladies and gentlemen. What I'm sharing with you is that in life, there are different dimensions and different levels that we can experience. On the surface level, there is the world, just as the Torah tells us it was created in seven days. 
There was a night, and then the day followed after the night. There was a clear boundary when day one began, and when day one ended, and day two began. But there is a deeper level where it's possible that you, if you get connected to that level, it's possible that you can tap into and that you can extend the particle and its limitations to even further places because over there, there aren't the limitations that exist on the level of the expressed particle-defined level. So therefore, it's possible that if you dig deep into the liquid, you can find the quality that later on expresses itself as oil, you can find it even in vinegar. It's possible that you can find the quality of Shabbat even on a Saturday night or on a Friday afternoon because the truth is the holiness of Shabbat can be experienced if you are holy enough and if you are refined enough even on on deeper levels, even outside the boundary that expresses itself as a particle. So let me share with you this new example that Rabbi Shnizan, the Lubavitcher, discussing when it comes to the rule of teshuva, repentance, which is very, very powerful, as we discussed in one of the earlier podcasts, when we were talking about retroactive causality. You remember when we were talking about retroactive causality, and I gave you the example of teshuva, repentance on Yom Kippur, that it is possible on such a holy day, in other words, you are so uplifted, you are so deep into the identity of the cosmos, of the universe, that you're connected with the essence, deeper even than quantum mechanics and quantum physics. But that's a good place for us to get an idea of what we're talking about. And so when it comes to Yom Kippur, and that possibility is available, you are able to go to the past, and you are able to take what you did wrong and and, and bad choices and you are able to actually go back into that past and turn those bad decisions and even the results that came from those bad decisions and turn it around for the good and for the positive. That's unbelievable. When else and where else can a person go back to the past and change anything in the past? He can only do different things from today and on into the future. But how does he get back into the past? But that's possible through the power of Yom Kippur, through the mitzvah of Teshuvah. That's what I want to talk about today in a little bit more detail. The Rambam Maimonides, when he discusses the mitzvah of Teshuvah, so he says something which is a little strange and a little unusual. And he says that the mitzvah of Teshuvah, the mitzvah of repentance, is actually vidui, confession. That's really the mitzvah of Teshuvah. And so all the commentators, they ask the question and they say, it's a little bit difficult to understand that because really the Rambam, he could have he could have said that the mitzvah is the teshuvah, the repentance itself, the sincere change of heart, that the transformation in, inside the person's heart, which is the ultimate goal of teshuvah, that really should have been described as the mitzvah, as the commandment. Why does the Rambam describe the mitzvah of Teshuvah, the commandment of Teshuvah, as the confession? And the Rebbe, Rabbi Shnitzen, explains things in the following way. He says, 
quoting from the Talmud and Makkas and, and the Zohar, that the commandments in the Torah, 248 commandments, represent the 248 limbs of the body. The Zohar says the 365 negative commandments, they represent the 365 sinews in our body. When a person performs the 248 positive commandments and the 365 negative commandments, which he stays away from those negative things, so then he attaches himself to the complete spectrum of God, which brings eternal life to the person's body and to his soul. So through the observance of the mitzvahs, the positive and the negative ones, since they correspond all the limbs of the body and all the sinews of the body, they will bring physical well-being to the person. That's why the Torah, in the philosophy of the Torah, if a person is not well, probably he's weak in some observance of his mitzvahs. That's why, for example, many times when people would go to Rabbi Schneerson, they were not well. Rabbi Schneerson would say, be careful with keeping kosher. Or he would say, check your tefillin to see that they're kosher, or check your mezuzahs. Or make sure you keep and observe family purity so that you can be blessed with children, healthy children. He wasn't just picking out mitzvah from a hat. Rabbi Schneerson, as the spiritual doctor that he was, that he is, since his soul lives forever, he knew the relationship between the person's sickness and the spiritual juice that was necessary to become healthy in that area where the person was weak and was not feeling well. So every mitzvah represents a certain limb in the body to strengthen that limb in the body. And so the Rambam, when he explains the mitzvah of teshuvah, not the goal where it leads and what the great benefit that the person gets to when he performs the mitzvah of teshuvah, he is very concrete. And he says the mitzvah of Teshuva is the confession. In other words, there's a physical practice that the person needs to do as all the mitzvahs in the Torah have very specific ways that they are performed. Otherwise, how would you know that you did it? The same is with the mitzvah of Teshuva. The Rambam doesn't tell us that the ultimate goal and the place where you get to or where you're supposed to get to, that's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah is the specific expression of being sorry for what you did wrong. The decision that the person makes that he will never repeat what he did wrong. And that's a very clear, defined way that the person performs this mitzvah in the Torah. The teshuvah, in other words, the change of heart that becomes inside the person This is so powerful that this is able to change anything wrong that the person did. So the mitzvah of confession is like the key. It's like the door that gets the person down into his identity to change his entire identity, his entire attitude towards his observance and his relationship with God. And when he reaches down to that deep level, then it is able to address any and all mitzvahs that the person didn't do right. It is able to bring strength and blessing and a resurgence of juice 
from the soul, which is connected to God and which is an expression of God, to every single area in the person's body. So here we have this tremendous concept and idea, which is similar to the example that I gave you with the story of Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa reaching deep into the liquid to reach the quality of oil inside the vinegar. Vinegar and oil is only on the surface. That's how the essence of the liquid finally expressed itself out on the surface. But deep down inside, there's the possibility for everything because at the quantum level, at the quantum level, it's it, it, it's still just generic. It's like simple, it's like it's like the, the stem cells that we discovered just recently in the field of medicine. Right? You can take those stem cells from um any place of the body. But the best stem cells are embryonic stem cells. Why? Because there at the embryonic stage, the cells have almost not switched into any particular direction. So you were able to catch at the at the at the at the at the basic level of the cell, you are able to catch the possibility for all organs. And then if you take those cells and that DNA at that very deep level and you then direct it to become a specific organ or you transplant it into an organ, it can help expand the liver or the different other parts that um, doctors have discovered. We are able to enhance and we are able to improve through those stem cells. Let me share with you another story of a principal um, um, in my school in Montreal. Rabbi Fagelstuck was his name. This um, principal once came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and he asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe, is it proper to go to the cemetery and visit the burial places of great Sadikim? Because the general rule is that there's nothing to do over there when it comes to holidays and Shabbat. The souls are not there. The souls, they go to a higher place. In other words, it's more difficult to access the souls. They're less connected with the world. They are more elevated into spiritual places, which is really the possibility for every single person when it comes to Shabbat. So the same thing is also with the souls. And so it's written in many, many books that there's no place to go to a cemetery to connect with those souls or to ask those souls to pray on our behalf um, and things of that sort. But people seem to be going. And so he asked Rabbi Schneerson what his expert opinion, since he is the expert spiritual doctor, was on going to the cemetery on the holiday. And this is what Rabbi Fegelstuk repeats in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe says to him, if you are going to the cemetery because it's a place where dead people are buried, there is no dead people in the cemetery on Shabbat and the holidays. Their bodies are there, but their soul the connection to what really matters. The dead body is dead. You're not going to connect with something that's dead. When you go to the cemetery, you are going to try and attempt to connect with the eternal identity of the person, which is the soul. But that's not there. It's barely connected to the body when it comes to Shabbat and the Yom Tev. So there's no point in going if that's what you have in mind. But if you're going to the cemetery and you have in mind that you are going to connect to the eternal soul of the tzaddik that just moved a little bit over from 770 Eastern Parkway. And he moved over to the cemetery. Excuse me for a moment. Okay. 
So if you are going over to the cemetery, but in your mind, in your mind, you see how that can make a difference to reality. Just as we say the observer, for some reason, and in some way, which we'll have to talk about it in another podcast, actually causes the collapse of the wave into the particle. Our mind has such a tremendous power that it can actually make a serious impact on the identity of something. So said said the Rebbe to Rabbi Fegelstock, if they're going to the cemetery, but in their mind, they're not going to a dead place. They're just going to a place where in this world, the Rebbe happened to, to move from where he was before in this physical world to where he is right now. Then you can go even on the Shabbat and you can go even on the on the Cholamoid because since that is your approach, that is your attitude, then you are not going to a cemetery. You are going to, so to say, commune and connect to the soul, which of course is everywhere all the time. It hasn't gone away from a cemetery since you're not going to that place in the context of a cemetery. So what we're talking about today, ladies and gentlemen, on this physics of the mystics is something which is very, very powerful. And it's really um, very enlightening because all these stories that we have from the tzaddikim and all these rules that we have in Maimonides and everything that I'm sharing with you takes on a whole new understandable dimension. It opens up to us the awareness that even when it seems like something is impossible, that nothing's impossible for God. God is everything. God is everywhere. So even when it appears to be very true what your eyes are looking at, many times when you will change your attitude towards something, you will start noticing something that really was there all the time. You will start connecting and opening up to something that was there all the time, but because of your narrow-mindedness or because of your perspective, you were just eliminating that from your experience in your life. And that's a phenomenal awareness to really be excited about and to always know that there is hope and that when we trust in God, the Rebbe repeated to many different times, Rabbi Schneerson, when people would come to his problems, the Rebbe would say, more trust, more blessings. But how can I trust when I see things are so are, are so dark, are so impossible? That's your problem. You are narrowing your perspective to limit the possibility. But if you were to appreciate that God is everywhere, God is everything, and you were to put more trust in the infinite possibilities of the underlying current that is right there, that attitude itself would widen and would open up the window for you to experience much more. And we have the keys and the window to attach these things, and that is the saying of the Tehillim, the saying of Psalms, for example, the the recitation of psalms, our rabbis tell us, this is one of the most powerful ways to connect with God, to appeal to the infinite broader possibilities of godliness. 
like the Rambam says, when it comes to Teshuvah, we have to start out as particles, because we are a particle. My body is a particle. It's not a wave. On at least the surface level, my eyes are exactly where my eyes are. And I'm thinking in terms of now, and what I spoke five minutes ago, and what I might say in another five minutes. So there's the past, the present, and the future. There is the actual weight of my body and the dimensions of my body. But the truth of the matter is, I can experience things on a much broader way, and I communicate with people if I reach deeper into a place that goes beyond the limitations of this particle. And that's what we're seeing from the fact that a person can take on the Shabbos before Shabbos, and he can experience the Shabbos after Shabbos. And the truth is that you can have a miniature Shabbos every morning when you're praying. And the truth is, in a certain way, Shabbos can be extended all the way up to Tuesday or all the way up to Simchas Torah. The truth of the matter is that you can experience oil, even in vinegar. But if somebody says, are you crazy? It's vinegar. How are you going to experience oil? If somebody says, you know, you're crazy. Shabbos starts when sun sets. You know something? Whoever thinks that way is only able to experience that way. But the other person who can be standing right next to you, if he sees things on a broader, on a spiritual, on a deeper level, his observation will actually put him in touch with a deeper experience. And that's why when you see people walking around in the street, you really never know the world that they're living in. You never know where where they're floating. Because from your perspective, if you just look at them at the surface or on the surface, they appear to be just like you are, with eyes and nose and a mouth and walking on two feet. But the truth is our entire world and in our entire life is up in our heads, defined by the way we think. And the person that you're looking at, he can be in a very depressed, in a very dark, in a very sad and narrow pit, even when he's walking around and he looks like, you know, he's got a fancy car and a fancy suit or dress or whatever it may be, but he's not living there at all. He's living in a very different place. Or you can see somebody else that appears to be driving a cheap car and he doesn't look like he's a very up-and-up kind of guy. But the truth is, the sun is shining in his brain, and this guy is floating on the clouds as far as his life goes. This guy is living the dream. And that's because his perspective is different. And that's what quantum physics, quantum mechanics is telling us, that the collapse of the wave in the language of quantum mechanics, the collapse of the wave takes place when the observer, when the measurement takes place, which we'll talk about sometime, God willing, in other um, podcasts. What does the collapse of the wave mean? Where is that space where the collapse of the wave takes place? Where does it happen that the vinegar, the liquid, turns from vinegar to oil? Or as we discussed last week, we talked about the different phases of matter when we said that there is there is um, the ice, and then there is the liquid, and then there is the vapor, right? There are different phases of matter, and the more energy something has, the more refined, the more spread out it becomes. And that's the same thing too mentally and emotionally. And halachically, it's the same way. And they're all, they're all, they're all mixing and merging together with each other. 
And so that's the great lesson on today's Physics of the Mystics. Let me share with you once again my email address, physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. Please send me your information. Max Planck that we started out with telling us that it's impossible for us to analyze and solve the mystery of existence. He was right. As long as you remain boxed in to your own natural, physical identity, but when you start tuning in and plugging in to the Torah, to mysticism, to uh, a higher wavelength, to greater energy, spiritual energy, all of a sudden you start picking yourself up and you start seeing things in the whole thing. All of a sudden, instead of walking the ground, you start floating the ground. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please give me your feedback at physicsofthemystic at gmail.com, which I appreciate so much. And until next time, Make the best of what we're talking about.